It's all good. Jesse O'Brien. That's me. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for flying all the way down from Durango. Just to talk to you for this one podcast. That's it. <laughs> I'm very important. We're, uh, I'm loving already getting to walk through the Central Athlete facility, for me especially the Central Health facility. Um, and just for anybody listening, full disclosure, today's episode is a very selfish endeavor on my end because <laughs> I've, uh, I've been super excited to pick your brain really ever since I got to know you a, f a few months ago, I yeah. think, really. Um, to start, do you mind just giving me kind of the background on Central Health and Central Athlete? Because I think that it's cool because those businesses really reflect your perspective on you know, health and wellness in general, which is what I'm really excited to, to yeah. pick your brain on. Um, so I'd love to just hear more on the philosophy behind Central Athlete and Central Health. Yeah. Um, I think my background maybe is a little relevant kind of in this story. And so um, I'm actually not traditionally educated in health and fitness. I went into corporate America. I got a business degree. And I lasted three months before I was like, this just like is not for me. I was rotting away in a cubicle, researching health and fitness stuff all the time. So I was like, oh, I'm going to just kind of begin from the ground up. And so that's kind of exactly what I did. And I, I started working at a local uh, training facility back here in Austin after I graduated. Uh, and I had spent some time getting some certifications before this and all this. Um, but I, I knew this was kind of the direction that I wanted to go after I just completely had a horrible experience with corporate America. I'd sneak away to my car about 11 o'clock every day and take a like hour and a half nap. I don't know how I got away with it. And so I, I came into a facility that was uh, doing group class training, and I loved it. It allowed us to um, you know, train together, and there's something special about shared suffering that just unites and bonds people. Um, and so that was kind of like my gateway to physical subculture uh, after I played a lot of sports kind of growing up. And about a year, year and a half into it, somebody's like, hey, do you do personal training? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. And so then I developed a, uh, a great personal training business. I um, made a ton of money. I booked a full schedule. I was working six days per week. And then I started to feel this kind of unsustainability as a coach. I started to... Um, you know, realize that the days of waking up at 4, 30, 5 o'clock in the morning, you know, where you work with the AM clients and then you have this like six hour gap in the middle of the day and then you got to work, you know, another 4 to 7 p.m. and then you got to work on the weekends oftentimes. And so I just kind of like started to just grind through that, but it didn't matter because I'm in my 20s, um, you know, just full of just Tons like of energy. Yeah, eagerness, curiosity. I want to learn it all and I'm absorbing information. I'm getting mentors. I'm, you know, studying for certifications and exams and stuff like that. And um, eventually I, I come to own the gym that I was working at through sweat, sweat equity and just being of value to the community. Wow. And the deeper I got into it, the more I realized the beauty of what we were doing, but also the limitations of what we were doing. And it was just that. It was, it was group class training and personal training. And so the focus was on training, but also that's one component of being healthy. What about breathing? What about nutrition? What about sleeping? What about social connection? Like there's all these other things that are, are pertinent to living a very fulfilling life. And if we're only exercising and, and moving our meat sacks every day, that's awesome. But it's just one piece of the puzzle. 
And so I would realize that people would get incredible shape and that to me like really bolstered a sense of self-worth and that I was helping people. But when they went away from spring break and winter vacation and summer vacation and they put on a bunch of weight, I just kind of felt like I was a pool boy just there to clean up a mess that mm. somebody had dumped in a pool, proverbially speaking. So over time, I started to like fall out of love with something that I was incredibly curious with. And so essentially, central athlete and central health is what I feel like are the solution to a lot of those problems. For example, one critical thing that is at the basis of what we want to do is we want to encourage people's autonomy. And in order to lead towards autonomy, we have to know those people. And so a consultative practice is incredibly important. Like, what are your goals? How old are you? Like, do you have kids? Have you ever hurt your knee before? How do you move? Um, are we talking about 20 minutes of movement, you know, every other day? Or are we talking about two hours of training and doing double days? Like, there's this wild matrix of what we could be doing with our time. Yeah. And I think that it needs to be applied to the individual as opposed to, like, oh, you're in a CrossFit box or you're in a, you know, a, a yoga box and we're going to train for an hour. Um, I feel like that really limits people. Yeah. And, and I remember, so it's so interesting because you... Well, I was even considering starting the podcast with being like, I, I'm stuck in traffic all day. I go to work. I sit in the cubicle. You know, I turn around. I sit in traffic all day again, and I get home, and I'm not happy. Why? You know, to, to pick your brain on that. But it's interesting because part of what started getting my thought process, process going and, and excited to dive in more with you is when we were on a video call, I think it was earlier this week, Yeah, and you had kind of started talking about Basically, the idea that in the terms of human evolution, this moment that we're living in is really new. And Very. humans aren't meant to kind of live the life that so many people have, have started to, to be morphed into. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, for, for a whole lot of people, it's out of necessity. You know, mm -hmm. like you, you've got to pay your bills. You've got, you know, exactly. you've got to do these things. And that's why we're, I've been so drawn to the model behind central athlete, central health, and, and even just your perspective is because exercise is important. It's a, it's a huge component to it, but kind of taking a step back and looking at this holistic wellness, yep. you know, like the, this entire, the, the, looking at all of the variables. So I'm curious, if, you know, because I think it's especially interesting, and I didn't realize that you had an initial background in corporate, you know, sitting in an office and, and feeling that. Beyond just kind of like your, or or maybe even kind of take a step back and you obviously took action to go from that environment that you could tell was not a healthy way of living. What what would you what would be your advice to people that are like, you know, I'm stuck in the cubicle. I've I've got to commute every day. Um, you know, like how what's step one? I think step one would be before those people say that very sense of I'm stuck in a cubicle, I'm stuck in traffic is the story that I'm telling myself is that I'm stuck in a cubicle and I'm stuck in traffic. And that is a story. That's not the objective reality mm. because we have free will. We are generally speaking, we are sovereign beings that have autonomy. And so, yeah, that might be your current life situation, but 
you have free will and you have control over these things. And I understand there's complexity to it. You have kids, you have a mortgage, you have all these things. And it, the deeper you get into life, the, the, the more you can kind of feel like you're in a prison of your own decisions and behaviors. But ultimately, it's, it's a matter of what are your priorities and how much do you give a shit about stuff? Because I, I fundamentally believe that till the day that we die, and this has been proven with neuroscience, like the, the myelin in our nervous system can continue to adapt to the day that we die, is that we are able to change. Mm. We can change our behaviors. We can change our thought patterns. If we truly care about something, we can change. And so it's like, if this is something that's truly important to you, how much do you, do you want it? And that doesn't mean you just need to like force your way out of this situation. Some of these things are very complex and they're going to take time to figure out. And that was kind of the byproduct of you know my experience is that I was... I'm such an energetic person. Like nobody will will ever rival me with enthusiasm. I mean, you actually have. It seems like you have a ton I, of I flirt with it. You, you have a ton of energy, so maybe we can go toe to toe. But I was getting abysmally tired at eleven o'clock in the afternoon. So that's my alert system going off in my car. That's the check engine light saying something's not right here. Mm-hmm. I have had this pattern of always being energetic, and then all of a sudden I'm flatlined three hours after I woke up. Or, for it, whatever it is, like, um, and so if if you recognize these things, I think you have to pay attention to these things. And I believe that going back to what you were alluding to with, you know, this ancestral viewpoint of living, I believe if we live out of accordance of the way that our genes have evolved to be, which you know, arguably three hundred thousand years ago is roughly the time when Homo sapiens started to develop. You know, that's kind of the birthplace of a lot, of, a lot of our modern genetics. And they've changed to a degree, but very subtly in the last 100 to 250 years, we've had, I mean, damn, just the last 10 years, we have massive changes to the way in which we live our lives with, you know, screen time and uh, a lot of, you know, driving and um, the pandemic. I mean, you know, we were now, you know, completely isolated. I say isolation. Yeah. And so all these things, you know, if you think about the contrast between how we live now versus how we live, you know, let's say 50,000 years ago, we were living in tribes. We were getting sunlight every day. We were drinking water that wasn't tainted. We were eating close to the ground, you know, so plants and animals. We were not as stressed as we were, you know, in today's day and age, um, we had different stressors like getting food. We had, you know, like, what if I break my leg? And I think the farther that we move away from the way that we were living, you know, from where our genetics evolved, I think the more problems we're going to kind of run into. And that doesn't mean never take a shower and, you know, go back to the, the ice age per se, but how can we take some of these these pieces of wisdom that these guys have, or, you know, I call them natural laws, you know, the law of like, you got to get sun, you got to have friends, you got to play every day. We have to breathe. We have to move our bodies. You cannot pay attention to that, not do that. But you, you spend a lifetime or decades doing that. You're going to run into problems. And here at central Athens, central health, it's females around 40 years old. It's males around 50 is where the tires start falling off. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the warning light has been on for a while and we're really good with this culture with normalizing it. It's like, oh, you're just getting old. Of course you're tired. Oh, yeah, of course your toe hurts. You're 75 years old. It's like you're 75 years old, like not a big deal. But I don't think normalizing these physiological aberrations is doing anybody any help. I think we should maximize you know, quality of life as long as possible so that we can have a very fulfilling existence. Yeah. So it's I I I've, I just love the perspective and, and relate so much to that. So it's been interesting because before I started 
Ascent Digital, I was grinding away at a, at a, at a corporate agency and I was, I was finding success and don't get me wrong, I was happy, you know, like things generally speaking were, were good. Um, but I started to realize that, and, and it's interesting cause I had a ton of, I'll call them like fabricated stressors, you know, like not the ancestral type of stressors of, you know, breaking my leg or surviving. I, I was, I was under a tremendous amount of corporate stress. And so I started leaning very heavy into exercise. And the way I framed that in my mind was, it's the only thing I could control at the time. Mm. I was like, I'm the only guy, nobody can take that from me at least. And so started exercising a bunch and, and realizing that I've got to kind of prioritize that. And this was years ago, but with the benefit of hindsight, kind of looking back, it's been cool for me to see how, you know, I started there and then all of the rest of it sort of started falling into place. And, and similarly, you know, you kind of talk about energy levels. And that's why it's so fun to be in a room with you because, uh, you know, we're, we're at the end of a very long day and I feel energized again. So thank you for that. <laughs> but um, I'm kind of the guy that like I find something that is making me happy or making me feel fulfilled or even just making me feel better. And I sometimes can come across as like salesy, but it's just that I'm like, so excited to share it you know i'm like screaming from the mountaintops like you should do this or you should do that or whatever you're an evangelist yeah because it's like you start to realize that it's in our it's truly in our nature to live a certain way i'm curious you had mentioned kind of the you know the wheels falling off i believe is is how you worded it and and warning signs do you think that exercise is the the biggest variable to that and do you think that that translates in physical ways and mental and emotional you know uh consequences in in people as well yeah that's a, a good question especially you know asking a gym owner who has biases to provide that answer <laughs> full that, disclosure yeah full disclosure uh i would actually say uh exercise would be one of the the last things that i think people should do wow um i think the biggest thing that people should think about is their relationship and, and really their perception of stress. And back to kind of your story, uh, you know, you were articulating, you know, that you had this really this perception of stress, you know, but it's, it's really, you know, it was, it was your attachment to what was going on. It was your reaction to what was going on as opposed to like rolling it off your shoulder, you know, and there was real, I'm sure real things there. It was, it was how you interpreted that. And that is a, you know, a recipe for, you know, if you don't get out of that environment and it really twists you up, it really has this power to disintegrate people's physiology. There was an interesting study where um, I believe they took 30,000 individuals and the isolated these people for people who had high, who said, I have high amounts of stress. And then they further divided those people into people who thought stress was a bad thing and people who were like, eh, you know, no pain, no gain. Like, it's mm -hmm. not that big of a deal. And the people who thought stress was a bad thing I believe it was a 40 to 50% increase in all-cause mortality. So they're dying of, of heart disease, diabetes, uh, you know, Alzheimer's, dement you know, things of that nature. Just because of the perception Just of the stress? perception. It was just about how they thought about stress. Wow. And then the people who didn't have that same mindset but still had high amounts of stress ha had no change in all-cause mortality. So I believe, and that's one of the biggest things that I see, I mean, more specifically, if somebody ever has like something going on, in, you know, and this is not medical advice, if somebody has something going on with their, with their ticker, with their heart, uh, or let's say blood pressure, nine out of 10 times is a nervous system thing. It is 
how they are going about the day, how they are thinking about them, it, it, things, it is their perception of stress. Wow. And so, you know, recently I was watching the, um, it was a Blue Zones documentary on Netflix. And, uh, you know, there's some limitations of the Blue Zones and how they've kind of cherry-picked some of the data. But the interesting thing is that each region, there's like Sardinia, there is, um, you know, this area in Costa Rica, there is... Uh, a place in California, all these areas that have high concentrations of centenarians. So they try to study these regions and understand why are these people living so long. And, you know, there were some things of like, okay, this person's more, you know, this culture's more plant-based or, you know, the, the pitch of the hills in Sardinia was correlated with longevity. But two to three of each of the variables, the isolated, I was like, that's straight up nervous system. That's, that, that relates to this perception of stress. And it had to do with, um, you know, being in a community was oftentimes what they were talking about. Uh, for example, there was this one anecdote about this lady who fell ill, maybe she was 80 years old, and she went to the hospital and she was like gonna pass away. And her like, family literally wouldn't let her die. They said they, they had shifts and they would all show up and they would make her food, they would be with her. And eventually this lady rallied. No way. And so there's this whole aspect around, um, I think, perception of stress. There's another place where they're like, they work their ass off, you know, 6 a.m. to 12, but then they get the rest of the day to, to do what they want. So there's this good balance of work and play. So as I was watching this, I was like, man, like 50% of the time, you know, with these blue zones, like, yeah, you could talk about the food, you could talk about the physical activity, but I can't get past this nervous system piece. And it's all about how they interpret uh, their world. And so if you, if you go to like a Jewish community center where there's, you know, a high concentration of 90 or 100 year olds, or you look at these blue zones, they're not, they're not doing what you and I are doing, unfortunately. And they're not getting us on us in cold tubs. They are making food together in a communal environment. They are having their grandparents live with, you know, their, their kids. Um, you know, and I think there's a lot of things that just make human beings feel a little bit less stressed out. I mean, think about you're 95 years old and your kids are like, see ya, dad, you're going to be in the nursing home and you feel like you're just cast out of system. Like, how are you going to feel? Yeah. You know, I, I believe loneliness is akin to smoking 15 cigarettes per day in the same type of health consequences. And so, I believe that the, one of the last things people should do, um, and, and I truly, truly believe this, is step foot in the gym. Truly believe that. If you want to get a really good form of exercise, start walking. Do that every day for a year. And if you want to up the ante and you're, you're good with your stress, maybe we start talking about a gym and lifting some weights and stuff like that. But I think nervous system is really what will lead to a massively fulfilling life. I... First of all, what a great answer. I'm not the answer I expected at all. And now I'm even more, you know, fascinated and, and, and just pumped up to, to dive in. So it's interesting because, so my grandpa died in April of 2020, peak lockdown stuff. And, and all he did was fall and break his leg, but they took him to the hospital and then wouldn't let anybody visit him. And he got confused and stressed and incredibly lonely. And within, you know, a matter of days, and I don't remember the exact number of days, he, he ultimately ended up, ended up going. And I really think that, like, that loneliness definitely, like, was a turning point. I'm, you know, who knows? There's a, a whole lot of variables there. But it was, it was fascinating and frustrating for us to see, you know, him. It, he called my grandma and was like, why aren't you here? And he was incredibly confused and, and lonely. And I think that 
so it's interesting to hear the loneliness factor and the you know the the mental status component of it i'm I, I'm really fascinated with that idea that there was that increase in all-cause mor all, all mortality um, with even just the perception of stress because, you know, it's one of those things, and, and that's where, and, and maybe I'm blessed with, you know, it's maybe one of those things where maybe I'm born this way where I've always had this incredibly optimistic outlook and I've always been able to find the glass half full. But what's been fascinating about that for me has been that that's also been true. You know, like the fact that our perceptions can actually become reality. And I never, though, have considered f framing that through the lens of stress. And I think that that's so interesting to hear. So I'm curious, like, do you think that it, it really does come down to the fact that our brains are that powerful? That, that if you even just change how you look at the situations around you, that it can increase your life satisfaction. Yeah, I mean, this is that's Joe Dispenza's work right there. If you're familiar with him, I I'm mean, not. Yeah, I mean, it's somebody to, for you to check out. It's um, you know, I'm not extremely familiar with the depth of this work, but essentially, you know, he will have people do meditations and and shift their thought process. And he's got people walking out of wheelchairs who have been in wheelchairs for wow. 10, ten plus years, and that was essentially his story. But we understand now that this psycho-emotional thing that happens in the brain will actually affect us on a cellular level. So we can change every single cell within our body. It's that, that adage of whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Wow, yeah. You know? And it's the, you know, the, the power of all that. And, and a lot of times, you know, I want to point out one thing. You know, it's, you know, like, I think you said something of, like, I think I, you know, maybe I was born this way. But we also forget a lot of the experiences that shaped our nervous system so early on. And so there's a lot of things that, you know, likely happen. I mean, even preconception, you know, things that happened to you, what happened when you, you were in the womb, what happened the first thousand days of your birth. Uh, the first thousand days of birth, the amount of neurological connections uh, that, that's happening at that time exceeds uh, any other time in your life. And so the, although you may not actually remember your nervous system, remember, so, you know, I would... Um, be curious if you had some great parents or some great caretakers who really influence and set you up, uh, you know, in a really positive way. But it tells me about, you know, your upbringing and, and your environment because, um, you know, you're, you're sitting in shade because somebody planted a tree, essentially. 100%. And I did have great parents. I still do. Uh, which is, it, it's amazing, too. It, it, it gets my gears cranking on that, that age-old dilemma of nature versus nurture. So I'm curious, you're a father, right? You have two kids? Three. Three, okay. Um, I would love to hear from you, knowing that perspective of how powerful our, our minds are. And I've seen you, I, I want to talk about walking. Bef don't let me forget before mm -hmm. the end of the conversation to talk to you about walking. But um, I've seen on, on social media you being active with your parent, with your kids, mm -hmm. uh, you know, pulling them in the wagon or, or whatever it might be while wearing a weighted vest and, mm -hmm. and all of that good stuff. But I'd love to hear your perspective or your advice to people who now knowing that we're assuming that our minds really do matter, can, can actually make a, an impact on, on our actual lives and that there is some nature versus nurture realities. How do you apply that to parenting? Yeah, I mean, that's a really, really good question. And I'm in my infancy, so I've got, for context, uh, uh, a kid who's turning four this year, 
I've got a wild man who's a little bit over two. And then I've got a little four-month-old. So I'm still figuring a lot of these things out. But at this stage, you know, what feels kind of true to me is I think the best thing that I can do is my, my presence and, um, you know, not just my physical availability, but also, like, my spiritual, my emotional, um, just my ability to kind of, like, be with them. Mm. And Mr. Rogers, uh, I grew up watching Mr. Rogers, um, he has this, like, brilliant thing he says of, I think he was, like, being interviewed by Oprah or something, and, you know, Oprah asked him, you know, what's the best advice he can give the parents, something to that effect, and his answer was, it, it's so, he can say something so simplistically, and you're like, oh, man, that just blew my mind, and he says, I think most parents forget what it's like to be a kid, mm. and just to, just to think about that for a second, if the, like the put yourself back into, you know, boom, I'm five years old. And, you know, I mean, I, I just a flash of things come back to me. I remember something as, as small as like, you know, I grew up in New York City and, you know, my mom was holding me on her lap and I just remember how uncomfortable I was. And she was just like holding me and I was hot. And I remember, um, you know, the way, you know, she would always tell me, you can do anything that you put your mind to and how that just like imprinted on me. Um, you know, I also remember times where I felt like they just, they didn't understand like my intelligence or what I knew. And I felt like kind of talked, you know, and so all these different things. And so I think, you know, one of the most powerful things I can do is try to put myself, you know, back into that kind of curious uh, stage of like wonderment where I didn't really know what the world was and try not to forget about who I was, you know, at the core of who I am, but I really don't know anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm just in the infancy of, of parenthood and I can, um, you know, try to give, you know, some advice, but I'm figuring out like the rest of us. Well, sure. Yeah. That's, uh, I, by the way, I had, I, if you would have asked me to wager on if Mr. Rogers would have come up in our conversation today, I would have bet against that. So <laughs> thank you for, for, uh, for the curveball Cause it's, it comes from a, a place of sincerity. I can tell. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just kind of reflecting back on because, you know, whether it's like a physical endeavor or a mental endeavor and, and it's kind of it's been an interesting. So I'm now this is episode five of, of the Chasing Greatness podcast, and they've all been conversations with people that I look up to or, or people that inspire me. And there's been some themes that have sort of like naturally happened throughout the conversations. And the you know mental health in a lot of ways but but kind of like this idea of like a fulfilling life has has really been what the the underlying theme is and it's been fascinating for me when i'm trying to kind of wrap my head around it all and then i hear you kind of talk about how far we've come from from our roots our ancestral roots and then i look at my own life and i think about the moments when i'm the happiest or when i'm the most fulfilled just last week, my boys and I went on a, a mule deer hunt, I saw that. and we were we walked into the woods. So we were in nature, we were exercising, we were walking, we were spending time with people that we love. So we were, you know, there was a, a community yep. there, sun, sunshine. We ended up getting a deer, which was also, I think, uh, you know, there was definitely some reward chemicals that, that, you know, occurred from the hard work and, and the satisfaction. And was, there a, like was there a degree of adversity trying to a whole lot of it. find that? So there was a lack of comfort. Yeah, yeah, in fact. And so it's interesting because when I talk to you, the reason why those moments are so special becomes crystal clear. 
And I think that that's powerful because at the end of the day, that's what I'm chasing are those moments, you know, of like everything feels great right Mm. now. I feel grounded. I feel fulfilled. I feel happy and present with my kiddos. Mm. And it was like, and so it's just interesting because, you know, that's just a relevant example because it's recent, but it's kind of like checking, checking the boxes. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about, you, you mentioned, you know, the comfort zone and, and adversity and things like that. Um, do you think, because one of the things that, I, that I'm, I've been recently kind of going down this path of intentional departures from my comfort zone, whether it's cold exposure or pushing how far I can run or starting a podcast or, you know, whatever it is of these like intentional, intentional uh, opportunities for growth. What effect does that have on you know overall well-being? Like, can people live a fulfilling and, and happy life in their comfort zone, or do you have to leave it? I think if you look back at how human beings have existed for large, large quantities of time, we've spent more of our time uncomfortable than comfortable. Hmm. And we're in the most comfortable part of society. I mean, right now, you can start a YouTube channel, make generational wealth in a year. You know, it's it's literally the most comfortable time we could ever be. I can, oh, it's 73, I need to be 72. Um, oop, I need water immediately. Oop, I can have, duh, 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 food can come to me immediately. Any sensory urge, I mean, Tinder, boom, I can get my physical needs met. Um, I feel, you know, if you look at like some of the, the most successful people who have chased those things, you realize that then they'll tell you they weren't really happy in, in chasing a lot of those things. And so... You know, it's that polarity of life or the duality where you have to experience the crap to appreciate the good stuff. But I don't know if you ever heard the argument of like type one versus type two fun. I forget which is which, but um, I know I know them well. <laughs> yeah. Type one fun. Let's say that's the, the one um, where, you know, you're like, you know, laughing in the moment and on a roller coaster. Or yeah. Or you're doing the, the you know, uh, Mai Tais and on Bora Bora, let's say. And type two fun is the stuff where. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. So there's, you know, the world, you know, maybe this will be something for you that you might want to do. So it's called the world's toughest canoe race. It's here, uh, in right by where you were, you know, by the Comal river, there's a place called uh, the San Marcos river. And so it's 82 miles down the San Marcos river. And then you go, um, it's a total of 262 miles before you hit the coast. And then you go seven miles upstream, um, you know, to sea drift, Texas, and you do it as fast as possible. And that is a life-changing experience and 99.5 of that is the worst experience of your yeah. life you're, you're back you're like like this all the time and you know your your back hurts you're you're peeing on yourself because you don't want to get out of the boat you're eating crappy food um you know my my partner when i did it was uh he's a type 1 diabetic so his blood sugar was you know ho- you know terrible you get gross rashes he was covered both of us were covered in poison ivy oh god but i look back at that and i'm like that was one of the best experiences of my life. And I also recognized that the majority of it sucked, you know, and that those are the types of things that I think that really give us a lot of fulfillment, you know, where we can sit back at the end of our days where we're in our lazy boy and we're like, damn, I did some cool, cool shit. Yeah. So it's interesting. I look back to, um, 
I, like looking back on my life, you know, I, I have similar feelings with when I finish a marathon or, or whatever. In fact, I, I tell my wife all the time, usually when I finish a marathon, I'm saying that that was the dumbest thing ever and I'm never going to do it again. And then that bucket of dopamine comes in and I've got my medal and I limp around the house and I start looking up when the next one might be, yeah. you know, it, it, that all exciting. But I actually have some vivid memories, kind of coming back to this like nature versus nurture and having good parents. But I have crystal clear memories of, of when I was growing up. And I don't know if depression's the right word, but feeling down on, on weekends or whatever as a kid. And my dad would take us to do stuff. And, and usually it would be, you know, uh, some sort of a physical activity, whether it's riding motorcycles or doing, you know, yard work or, or going in horseback riding or going on a hike or whatever it might be. And it imprinted on me because we would get back and I would be like, I feel better. Like I didn't, and even happiness isn't even necessarily the right way to describe it. I didn't necessarily, I, but I felt like a state change. Yeah. Like a little more confident or a little more alive even like, like, okay, you know, we, we did something. And so I love hearing that, that, um, you know, humanity in general, most of our time has been sent, spent uncomfortable than comfortable. Was that canoe race the, is that the hardest physical thing you've ever done? Yeah. Yeah. I've done some really, you know, several marathons and ultra marathon where I had uh, like six miles of inner thigh spasms, which was like a very unpleasant experience. But now you spend four days in a canoe, um, that'll like, that'll change you, you know, and we were maybe slightly ill prepared and, um, you know, there's a, you know, uh, 220 miles in, there's a uh, two-mile log jam that's been there since, like, 1972. Oh, so you got a... Wow. And my partner medically got pulled out. Uh, his blood sugar got high, and he was the second known person in the Texas water safari in 50 years to ever take off all of his clothes. And so he was wandering around like a schizophrenic person in a, in a park. Because of low blood sugar? He was just... I mean, uh, it was high blood, blood sugar. Oh, okay. But then we gave him a bunch of insulin, and then... I don't know. I mean, there were so many factors. Like he was just, he was a mess and he, he was recording blank tape the whole, t you know, the last eight hours. He doesn't, he blacked out. He doesn't remember any of it. Wow. So they had to pull him out. And so I kept going and solo now solo. And then, uh, I had to go through the, the, the log jam and two mile portage at like four in the morning on night number three or something like that. On no sleep. I mean, sleep's a kind word, you know, it's like how, how good is a sleep can you get in like a canoe or like curled up on a, like a muddy bank is like, you know, you're getting hit by flies and stuff like that. Um, so very, very minimal sleep. Um, yeah, it was definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done. Uh, but I've done some hard and a lot of stupid things as well. Tell me about ultra, ultra marathons. Uh, the, what, have you ran more than one? Just one. I did, uh, after that I kind of like, I was like, I think I'm done with running. I, I never, I never got, you know, I was like, I'm going to run till I like enjoy it. And, you know, I really kind of move through my resistance with it. And I just never got that bug. I'm always, um, you know, I got a lot of benefit out of it. It's like, it's like a, th it's like a powerful therapy session is, is really what it is. And it, and it's a beautiful way to experience the world. Um, but I, I went out in January to uh, big Bend, which is West Texas and, you know, ran the big Bend. uh, ultras 50, 50 kilometers with a couple of buddies and um it was i mean it was a great experience other than the last six miles and inner thigh spasms and you know learning about electrolytes you know <laughs> i guess some lessons are more expensive and painful than others <laughs> right. and that was one of them you learned it well though now yeah, yeah yeah now i know electrolytes are important so uh 
not necessarily needing to run, you know, 50 kilometers, but I know that walking is very important to you. Yeah. Um, I believe you even have a threshold that you have to get to, that you make sure you hit mm-hmm. every day in, in terms of walking. Yeah. I want to learn more about all of that. Why, yeah. how far you go. It, it's a daily thing. I, I want to learn everything about your philosophy on, on keeping walking a priority. Yeah. Um, I'll give a lot of credit to my mom and my grandma. You know, my mom always walked, you know, it's her form of exercise along with, you know, she played some tennis and stuff like that. But, you know, I think it's it, it brings a, a really good um, way of a, like a, a framework of looking at things, of thinking, you know, if I can't do this for the rest of my life, why even bother? And I know that I can walk for the rest of my life. I'm likely not, you know, front squatting 315 for reps for the rest of my life. I'm likely... You know, not doing, you know, we, we did something called Inman's Mile. Inman's Mile, you load up a body weight and a half on your back and you take it for a mile walk. So wow. 275, you know, like I'm not doing a lot of those things. Um, you know, I'm not playing lacrosse anymore. Uh, even tennis will get a little bit more challenging, you know, as I get a little bit older. But I can walk uh, for the rest of my life. And I think optimizing for sustainability is a critical recipe for longevity and health span. Mm. And uh, the benefits of walking are, you know, one, let's just think about like how easy it is to do it. Like you don't need a gym membership. You don't need shoes. You barely need clothes. Um, you just need the will to do it. And there's very minimal psychological resistance and not to knock on, on running, but running, there's just a little bit more psychological resistance. It depends on the person, but it's a little bit more challenging. It's a little bit more tough on your body. Um, so I really like walking as like just a, I, I hate like, dogma and like one size fits all but if i had to give that one size fits all prescription i think we're we're you know hominids we're bipedal species we we are meant to walk i don't think we're meant to sprint and run all the time i think 90 percent of the time we should be walking and then a little lifting heavy weights or stones or climbing a little running a little sprinting sprinkled in there but if you look at those blue zones again and you look at the types of movement and activities they're doing it's built into their daily life they're gardening they're walking up steep pitches to their friends' house. They're in pedestrian communities. And I think once you develop suburban environments, you know, beginning in the 40s to 60s, I think you saw uh, the death of a lot of pedestrian communities. Yeah. Like, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind of like, I'm like, Boston, New York. Um, I mean, we're here in Austin and they have great bike lanes and stuff. But like I live in southwest Austin and I come to east Austin. I'd be traveling across all sorts of like highways and interstates and freeways and like I not don't very know. pedestrian friendly. No, and it's you know also like I'm gonna it, ninety minutes there if I'm booking it ninety minutes back. Like it's you know it's it's really not built for this. And so you know we can I kind of hack my way to staying healthy in a sense. But the the highest order way I think of being healthy is not having to think about it at all. Mm-hmm. I walk to my friend's house. I walk to the grocery store. I see two friends along the way. I say, hello. I garden for four hours. I grow my, I mean, I think that, that is, you know, if I'm trying to move anywhere in my life, it's like, how can I move more in that arena? You know, I've got like a garden. I'm trying to think about how can I, um, decrease the amount of time I'm using my car, but it's, it's solving for a very complex and, and really cultural and societal issue at the same time. And there's so many pros and cons. Cause if I, you know, do what a piece of me wants to do is cabin in the woods and, you know, you know, I'm leaving a lot of my friends and then I'm abandoning, you know, this social community thing. So it's, it's a very complex thing, but walking is, you know, you're moving, you know, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, we have, uh, you know, uh, a lymphatic system. A lymphatic system is like the sewer systems of our body and we have three times as much lymph as we do blood. Now our blood will, will 
theoretically always circulate if we have our heart contracting, right? And it's going to, you know, within, you know, about a second, we're going to push a, you know, drop of blood through our entire body. But our lymphatic system, we have to contract our muscles for it to move. And you've probably seen, you know, pictures of people with lymphedema, which is like crazy swelling, you know, if you have lymph nodes removed or you have lymphatic congestion. But there's massive benefits. You know, any sort of health issue, uh, engaging the lymphatic system is critically important. And the very interesting thing is with, you know, conventional allopathic medicine, there's a nephrologist, there's an endocrinologist, there is um, an immunologist. There are all these specialties but there's not a lymphologist. We don't have a, a specialist for lymph. Hmm. And so one of the best things we can do is we can walk, uh, humming, deep breathing, getting in cold water. There's, you know, 20 plus different ways that we can engage our lymphatic system, but we have to contract our muscles for that to happen. Um, you get blood flow and I think you burn calories, you get some sunlight, but I think better than anything else is I like, um, you know, uh, this concept of being unplugged when I walk. So I call it unloaded and unplugged. So, you know, when I'm not wearing like a weighted pack and I don't have any technology on me, I have a lot of resistance to doing that. I'm like, oh, I should listen to a podcast or I should make some calls. I should go, 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 go. But that's kind of the stress thing, you know, coming out right there that I, I always got to do. That's that cultural thing that I think pushes people into a lot of these health challenges that they're going to have over time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wired the way where that will override me. And so a lot of times I'll do what's not comfortable and I'll, you know, I, I either will take my phone and not use it or just completely leave my phone. And but then you can't track your steps. I, yeah. But I, I realized for the first five minutes, I'm like, oh, this is stupid. I should have brought my phone. Da, da, da. And then all of a sudden I start like, I hear a bird and then I notice the squirrel running across the road. And then I, I wave to a neighbor and then I'm daydreaming. And then I'm like, oh, there's this thing going on at work that I kind of, kind of think about. And, oh, and I kind of like, after 10 minutes, I figure it out. And my brain's doing exactly what it should do, which is not being hyper-stimulated. And it's just the mind's wandering. Natural simulation. Yeah. And it's, and it's such a beautiful power thing. And so I could go on for, you know, my endless anecdotes of why I think walking is, is a very powerful modality. Um, but it's just an excellent form of exercise, I think. Yeah. So I've been, as you know, training for a marathon and, and this ultra that's next week. And... I, it's been a balancing act between running a business, trying to build a business, trying to be a good father, husband, train for a marathon, you know, like all these things. The result of that has been that I decided to start doing my long runs on Friday mornings instead of on the weekend. Yeah. So what I had to do though, to do that is I would run to work and I live, I live 16 miles from my office. And so I would wake up early Friday morning and I would run and then as things progressed, I would actually even not run directly to work. I would run longer and, and you know, get to work. And the clarity in the, the you know, I, I sometimes would start running at, at 3 a.m. Um, oh it's sometimes 4, but I would have a headlamp on and, you know, my, my water and my electrolytes and I would just go. And... I would not listen to music because I live in, I don't, I don't live in Austin. I live in a place where I've got to be a little bit careful about predators, bears and yeah. mountain lions and, and things like that. So I started not listening to my headphones at the early parts of my run until I got closer into town for like, so I could be aware of my surroundings. But what I'm getting at is you had kind of talked about, you know, walking with no distractions and, and you start to see the squirrel or, or hear the bird or whatever those early mornings for me almost became sacred. Yeah. Like I loved the world was asleep. I was moving 
there was no distractions. Usually I could see the stars in such a brilliant way. And it's like this, I don't know if it just felt so natural for lack of a better term. It felt like exactly what I should be doing. And then, you know, I'd get to the office and, and it was also kind of neat because I'd, I'd end up by nature kind of getting there early. I would a lot of times, so it, it, I, I would go a certain specific route as the runs got longer. And the way that it went is at mile 17, um, I'd have an opportunity to jump in the Animus River. Mm-hmm. And so mile 17, I would, I would jump in, in the river and let myself be wet. Who cares? Put my shoes back on wet and, you know, finish my run. Um, but what I'm, cause I think what I'm trying to articulate is, is that I've seen in practice the things that you're discussing positively impact my life, but I've never known the science or the why behind it. Like I've always just been like, I'm going to go on a run cause I like it. You yep. know what I mean? Um, do you have a threshold on the walking every day? How, how far do you try to walk per day? Or do you, do you track it in steps or do you not? Do you just walk until you feel like you've walked enough? Yeah. I, I mean, this is where I think, you know, uh, you know, tech like an Apple watch or Oura ring is going to be helpful just to give you a sense of awareness for where you are. And, you know, I'm like the, the, the rest of everybody else. Like I, I own a gym and a health company, but I'm wildly sedentary at the same time, you know, and I drive in a car, I do a lot of programs and consultations that's going to block me into a computer and sitting down. And so it's good for me to be aware of like, you know, I get these micro movements in, but like, oh crap, I'm at 3,500 steps today. So I kind of have, you know, I don't try to be super engineered about this stuff, but 10,000 is where I try to like you know, aim every single day. And I notice that I feel better when I get to that point. And, you know, if I were to get a day of, you know, 3,500, it's like, eh, whatever. But I do that for a day or two. And it's like, now it's like my back stiffens up. I feel like I'm less flexible. I don't know why, but I feel like I'm a little bit more of a grumpus and I start going kind of inward and I'm more introverted Mm. and kind of going back to what you were saying. I feel like I, you know, you're saying I didn't really know some of the science, but I just know, that I feel better when I do some of these things. I think people intelli- you know, are, are intelligent enough and have this innate wisdom that your body kind of tells you what makes sense and what doesn't. And we overcomplicate it oftentimes, but um, you know, ultimately I think that the core reason why these companies exist and you know, what I'm trying to do with my life is to uh, proliferate that a, um, you know, a healthy existence or moving your body is the gateway to a fulfilling life. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you commit to, you know, some of, you know, it's different for everybody else, but if you commit to kind of these core principles of moving your body, getting sunlight, social connection, everything's a little bit better, you know, and, and really, you know, we're going to be blessed with, you know, anywhere from, you know, 50 to 90 years on this, on this planet. Like, we want to, you know, get as much mileage out of this, which is, you know, our, our experiences and how we impact people and, you know, how fulfilling each day is. And, you know, if your health isn't there or if you're wrapped up in anxiety or depression, I mean, three out of four of every single one of my consults has to revolve around mental health. Yeah. Because I see so many people who are are not happy and they're, they're imbalanced and they are not aligned, you know, with what they want to do and what they're actually doing every single day. And we are critically suffering as a species. I think we are going back. I mean, and the, the data proves that, you know, our life expectancy for, you know, I think the second or third year in a row is actually uh, retreating um, here oh, in I didn't the United know States. You, you, we actually have, you actually have a better chance 
to live longer in Cuba, as well as like maternal health statistics are actually better in Cuba, which was you know cut off from the world for 50 plus years, which is crazy. We spend 18% of our GDP on healthcare, and we have uh, I think there was like. Uh, 11 or 1,200 uh, maternal deaths last year, up from eight to 900, which is crazy. Uzbekistan and Uruguay have better maternal uh, statistics and pregnancy t- t- statistics than the United States. Wow! Does. So we're we're not doing well, and this, you know, when you start to you know learn about, I, I, I try not to overcomplicate these things, but when you start to go down rabbit holes and you you learn about things and you understand the institutions that are that are set up. Um, you know, it, it, it almost feels like a little bit too bad to be, to be just happenstance, you know, like, I don't know, everything that they, they've told us to eat is essentially been marketing and a lie, you know, yeah. like the, you know, what, like the sixties or seventies, you know, you know, the, the sugar industry was like, oh shoot, they're going to come after us. So let's just like point at fat as the villain. So we went low fat for 30 years and now we're like one of the most obese places. I think under Mexico is a little bit more obese than us. So that was a failed thing. A lot of these governmental efforts to like support us um, really have moved us the wrong way. I mean, not to get super political, but I have to touch on like the pandemic, like you have the loneliness, you have the not moving, you have like what, ha- I mean, I'm terribly sorry to hear the anecdote about your your grandfather, but I mean, I hear the stories every day of like, I can't think of anything sadder for the patriarch of a family to die in isolation. Yeah. I mean, that's unfathomably cruel on so many levels, but you know, it's, you have to do it for the greater good was, was the thing. And I, there's just, there's so many problems. And so uh, where I'm going with this is I, I believe that healthcare needs to be decentralized. Uh, we need to, it starts by individuals taking ownership and taking responsibility of their movement practices, their nutritional practices. Don't trust what Betty Crocker said in the damn label. Like, do a little bit of, like, education and, and research, whether you're plant-based or you're, you know, whole foods only or you're paleo or whatever. Like, have an intentional focus for what you're trying to do for your family. Look into what's in your water. Look into what's in your sunscreen and, and what oxybenzone does when sunlight hits it. And, and when you look into these things, you start, to, you start to wake up and you can make an informed decision. Yeah. And I really believe that, if you invest your your education and your time and your money into your health literacy, it is the most valuable currency that anybody has. Because the second that you don't have your health, it doesn't matter how much money I you have. Say, it's no, all we have. It's all we have. It's it's the most critical thing that we have right now. And so that's you know, if I stand for anything, is I I stand for that. Um, and I hope more people can. And I, I think people are. There is a subset of people who are who are really waking up, and there's a degree of consciousness that's that's happening in this in this realm, um, or at least I feel like that in my ecosystem. But I can't help but um, I, I went and um, I worked a shift at the fire department uh, yesterday, actually. So one of my clients is arguably one of the the, the fittest female firefighters here in Austin. So I got to go to, you know, really it was, it was somewhat of a boring day, but a lady in AFib. I saw a meth overdose. I saw a shoplifter fake a respiratory attack. Uh, I saw, you know, a guy with an infection. And so you see the margins of society. And so sometimes I'm faced with that polarity of like, I feel like we're really doing good and we're getting healthier as a species. And then I see the margins of society and I'm like, you know, we wheeled a a bariatric patient uh, down three flights of stairs on the stair chair uh, because she had to go to the doctor. And I'm like, oh man, I think we're actually losing this battle after (laughs) after yesterday. So I I flipped between both of these polarities at times. Yeah, I, I agree with that. 
wholeheartedly. My my theory is is that we are simultaneously the least healthiest we've ever been and the most. That the gap is widening. That because and I think it's because of those of us that are becoming intentional about it are learning and and there's so much information available and you can find it and you can like take some control and and live a better version of of your life um but without that intentionality i just think that the gaps widening be behind between the healthy and the and the not which is is tragic really i i thought it was fascinating that you mentioned this idea of i hope i get it right optimizing for longevity so I, I've got a similar philosophy when it comes to business, which is really that the, the goal is to keep playing, mm. you know, that there is no winning. The goal is to continue to play the game. Yeah, stay at the seat. Yeah, and, and, and I love that idea of, in life, optimizing for longevity because I think if we think of the decisions we make with that frame, it might shift our perspective on the things that we're chasing, you know, because chasing the dollar in the miserable cubicle is not optimizing for longevity. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I look sometimes at, at, at people that are sacrificing so much, literally sacrificing their health yep. for money or for status or for, you know, or, um, you know, bowing to peer pressures to fit in or whatever it is. And so I'm going to definitely, that's going to be one of my huge takeaways from this conversation is optimizing for longevity. Uh, and then I love it because I can kind of now connect that with my idea of the goal of business is to keep playing the game. And if I'm optimizing for longevity, the likelihood of me being able to continue playing the game yep. in life is, is higher, which I just think that that's, I, I think if more people had that, you know, that, that framework, it might shift what we focus on and, and what our, where our perspectives are. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm in an interesting position where I get to work with those people who expended their health and then they come back to me when they're 50, 60 years old and they got, you know, eight, nine, 10 figures in the bank account and they're trying to buy their health back. Yeah. And I have to sell them the least sexy thing somebody can sell them is like, all right, buddy, the reality of what you're wanting right now is you have to be dialed in on multiple fronts for the next 15 years. So I'm, I'm literally trying to sell, sell them a 15 year, you know, plan in a sense. It's about and the only thing harder to sell than marketing. <laughs> I mean, it, it really is. It's, it's how, oh, I mean, it's so hard because I mean, you know, it's not as easy as eating chicken and broccoli. It's like these things are deeply behavioral. And although you can change to the day that you die, well, the older you get, the more entrenched these neural grooves you get. Yeah. And so it's really, really challenging, you know, for somebody who has eaten like crap and slept five hours per night and been isolated, but gotten super successful in their business. And now they're coming back to try to buy their health back from a guy like me. And I can give them all these, you know, I can, I can help empower them. I can educate them. I can give them all the right tools, but until they accept responsibility, and they create a lifestyle around this, not, really the needle's not going to effectively move. And that's the hard reality. And so a lot of times, you know, I, I, it's, a, it's a hard sell. Of like, this isn't for 99% of people. You know, you have to understand, like, your life has to critically change. And, I, you, you know, you're a serial entrepreneur. You have to hang that hat up. And you have to, you know, de-identify and unlearn some of these ways of being. And it is, it is deep, but it's powerful work. And that's where, you know, there's, a, there's such a challenge of, you know, if I want to affect change on, on any sort of scale, but it has to be done in a decentralized kind of one-on-one yeah, manner, one it's, 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 it's very, very challenging. And so, you know, I hope if I can do anything, 
um, you know, having conversations like this and now, you know, you being a leader within your family and your community, you carry that torch back and, you know, you just put a little bit of fire in somebody else's, you know, and hopefully, you know, this kind of, um, you know, keeps kind of reverberating through our communities and, um, I don't know what one disparate thought is, you know, I think about, I don't know. Do you ever see that movie with, it was Luke or Owen Wilson and it, it was idiocracy and it plays out that theme of, you know, essentially you have, you have these like, uh, really well-educated, uh, like, uh, this couple. And then you had this, this other like low income couple. And so the, the well-to-do couple was like, Oh, me and, um, Cynthia are thinking about getting pregnant, but we're going to wait till she finishes her PhD. And they keep kicking the can down the curb. And simultaneously, the trailer trash couple has already, you know, impregnated her six times and they got these six little kids. And so they keep producing these, these idiots. And then eventually, you know, th this theme keeps playing out and uh, they can't get pregnant. And, you know, the, the whole premise of the movie is that, you know, we keep kind of perpetuating, you know, whether it's, you know, the intelligent people or, you know, the idiots, you know, with the bad habits. And, you know, that becomes our world. And so I hope that, you know, we can find, you know, the right balance where, you know, we can, you know, affect change. And, you know, this isn't necessarily to have rippling abs and to be running, you know, crazy marathons. It's just I hope that people can be active enough that they can enjoy their lives and not get burdened with anxiety and depression and high blood pressure and all the things to just get in the way of living life. But all these modern afflictions, really, if you look at just about any seed, any single primitive culture, they don't exist. Yeah. Right. Or at least to, to minimal statistical significance, you know, depression, heart disease, uh, you know, if you look at Weston Price's work in tooth decay, you know, that didn't really even exist in maxofacial def deformations didn't really exist till, you know, you started introducing processed foods. And so, you know, that, you know, modernization is creating so many opportunities and benefits and comforts. And so we need to learn what to take, but we need to learn how to intentionally live with this. It's very similar of like AI is on the forefront. We need to like, if you don't embrace that, you're going to be left in the dust. But at the same time, there should be some governance with how that's used and implemented. And we need to be very, very intentional with how we use that. But, you know, I'm thinking about my kids. I'm like, do they need to learn how to read or write with AI? You know, right. like, do they need to do a lot of these, you know, uh, arithmetic and stuff like that? We were told we wouldn't even have calculators in our pockets, <laughs> you know? And so just think about, like, you know, the, the tools our kids are going to have is, is it's tremendous. It's insane. So here's a question, because I'm, I'm picking up this idea, you know, in that last statement of, I, I'll just to simply put it as balance, but... Um, are we better off in a cabin in the woods or do you think that there's a way to live the most optimal life to optimize for longevity with modern, you know, in, in, in Austin, Texas? Yeah, I, th I think it's the latter. I think it's, um, I think this is my, um, thought I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this of like, okay, I want to build out a regenerative farm we're going to do so in a more rural environment. I'm going to take my family. We'll build kind of a conscious community around us. That's what we're going to do. But there's a degree of cowardice that comes with that is that I'm going to run away from this big, scary thing over here. And so I think that it takes, uh, you know, it takes curiosity, empathy, intelligence, and a degree of courage to stay firmly rooted in your community and say, okay, I'm going to try to learn how to live with this stuff and be intentional. And, and also at the same time, like, you know, the, the worst thing that I think somebody like myself can do is 
completely take this stuff too seriously and over-engineer everything. If you, again, go back to the Blue Zone example, they don't talk about health and fitness and all these things. They just go about and live their they're life, living. and they're just yeah. happy. They're just living, you know, and, and playing and having a good time. And we just need to – doesn't Matthew McConaughey say something? Like, we just need <laughs> a to – man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. We just, we just need to do a little bit more of what he says. Um, so I think it's just – you know, it's like the, the more you know, the more it like initially makes things more complex, but eventually you kind of go over that inflection point and then you can kind of demystify and simplify things. And you can kind of just bring it back to these core things of like, did I move my body today? Have I laughed a couple times? Okay, I haven't hugged my wife today. Uh, did I drink some good water? Did I eat some nourishing foods? Did I sleep seven and a half hours? You know, did I get some of these core things in? And I should spend more time doing that than not. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting too, because, um, you know, kind of talking about that balance and like these high performers, you know, now trying to buy back their health. I, I, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that there's a potential that if you prioritize your health, you can actually perform higher. It just feels counterintuitive at the time. Yep. Yeah. Um, we, we live in this mutually exclusive world where it's like, well, I can either be successful in my business and degrade my health or I can optimize my health and I'll never have the business that I want. And I think if you shift your paradigm into thinking how the two can complement each other and you can create this mutually inclusive environment, I think you're really winning there. And like, yeah, maybe maybe you have 12% less money in the bank, but you optimize for more experiences, you feel better. And, you know, as opposed to your last 10 years just being miserable and on blood thinners and not knowing who your kids are, uh, you know, you, you live those 10 years and then all of a sudden you just drop dead one day and pass away in your sleep. Like, that's kind of the, the way I hope it plays out for me. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, and it's encouraging to hear your perspective because, you know, the, really the whole idea behind chasing greatness, which is, is what I'm trying to, to encourage folks, but it's intentional to try to kind of have a holistic greatness because I think, you know, a lot of times, especially now when we're, we're living in the social media era where there's influencers and thought leaders, but generally speaking, and I'm, I'm generalizing, but usually they're extreme performers in one component or another. You know, there's, there's David Goggins that just takes endurance athlete, you know, way too far or, you know, the, the Rob Deerdeck talk about optimizing life you know, for these extremes. And I think that framing it kind of how you just did of this idea that like you can have it all, you can still have a successful business. You can still be healthy. You can still, you know, positively contribute to a community and get sunshine yeah. and walk to me, honestly, is refreshing yeah. in a lot of ways that, uh, it removes pressure and, and it sort of is like a weight off of my shoulders to know, like you can be happy along the way. In fact, you should be. In fact, yeah. there's almost even an obligation to be. Yeah, especially, you know, once you bring little ones into the world, you know, they're, they're picking up, whether it's conscious or subconscious, they're picking up on everything that you and I are doing. So I think it's our, our duty and it's imperative to uh, do exactly just that. Yeah. The world needs more people like you is what I think. And you. I, uh, so I, it's in my backpack. I, I have an Inspire by Example shirt for you. I meant to, usually oh, yeah. I, I hand it to everybody at the end of these. Um, but it's because I really admire you and I appreciate what you're doing. And I think that the coolest part about it is, is that you're living it. Like you're a living, breathing example of 
this kind of holistic approach. I, I see how your businesses are thriving. I see your happy family. I see, you know, clearly your, your physical health and things like that. Um, and I think that the world has, has a whole lot to learn from you. And so the reason I have the Inspired by Example shirt is to say, keep living that way because people are noticing. And I think it's important that you know that, that, uh, you know, you've impacted a goofy, bald business owner from Durango, Colorado, and who knows how many people along the way. And I think it's especially, uh, I think it's especially powerful that your business gets to impact people that way too. So mostly I wanted to thank you that I think that, uh, I just want you to continue doing what you're doing because it's making a difference and, and we need more of it. Yeah. Well said. And I appreciate that. I'll trying to absorb that and take that in. It, it always feels tough taking compliments, but I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jesse. I appreciate you. Thank you. That was awesome. That was good, man. How'd you feel? Good. I'm trying to kind of have that approach of like a true...